My name's Tony, and I am here to share with you the last four, the fourth, the last of four sermons in a series on the, the parable of the sower. Uh, this parable of the sower has been really good for me personally. Hopefully it's been good for you. We've had some great services, a lot of response. As we start to look at the heart and the gospel, and the kingdom of God, and how all of that works, and how do we grow, how do we mature, how do we achieve what it is that God has for us, and how do we reach our full potential in life, right? And Jesus told this story, the, the, the sower, and I, I want to start today's sermon or message just simply by saying this, life for me, and I'm guessing it's for you too, life for me is like trying to get a prize at the center of a complicated maze. Think about it with me for a moment. Think of a maze. How many of you ever took your kids to, or maybe you didn't take your kids, you went to the corn mazes? How many of you dislike corn mazes? Yes, yeah. Those are all the people that just need maps, Right? They don't like to have to figure it out. It's like a map. Give me a map and I'll get to where I need. But life for me is like there's this giant prize, this great awesome prize in the center of this complicated maze. And if I could just get through and make the right turns, make the right decisions, go the right way, you know, marry the right person, take the right job, move to the right city, do the right thing with my finances, buy the house or don't buy the house, whatever it is, if I make all the right decisions, you know, do I discipline my kid or not discipline my kid do i spank my kid or don't spank no don't spank your kids you can't do that today you know i got never mind but anyway so you know how do i live my life what decisions do i make because if i do everything right at the center of the maze if i take all the turns at the center of the maze is this prize it's a great prize When I think about my relationships, the decisions, the financial choices, the habits, where I spend my time and my talents and my treasures, when I think about all the options that I have in life, all the things that I could have or could have done better, the small decisions, the big ones, I just feel like life is like a maze sometimes. Sometimes we take a turn and we get to keep going. You know how the mazes are, right? You're going along, you're going along, you're making progress, you feel like you're getting to where you need to go, and then you get a right or left, and you can't see around the corners. Do I go right or do I go left? In a corn maze, it's nice. If you go the wrong direction and you run into a dead end, you just simply turn around and you go back the other way to the other direction, right? But sometimes it's not that easy in life. You take that turn and you go the wrong direction and now you have to stop and now life is like upside down and chaotic and your marriage is a mess and your kids are a mess, your relationships are a mess, your finances are a mess and you've just taken the wrong turns in life. And sometimes when we run into those dead ends, we're not sure what to do. Sometimes there is excitement in mazes because you make a good turn and it turns out well and you get a little further down the road. And sometimes there's confusion and frustration and sometimes you just feel lost, (laughs) right? Listen, 
this is a big deal. This is important. This is big stuff for your life because every decision you make has the potential to be good for me and my family or to be bad for me and my family. I understand this principle that I will reap what I sow. Another way to say it is, I will have to live with the decisions I make. There will be consequences to my choices. You've heard all this, right? We say it a lot of ways. Jesus said it this way. You will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. Mazes, for me, would be a whole lot easier if when you get to the starting point, there's a little thing there that says a map. That shows me where I'm at. How many of you have ever pulled into a, uh, a highway? This is before GPS. Some of you don't, younger ones, you won't know what I'm talking about. But before GPS, you're traveling in a strange place, and there's lots of roads and highways, and you pull into a rest area, and on there they've got the state map. You know what I'm talking about? And on that map, it says, you are here. I love that. You know why I love that? Because I like to know where I'm at. Because I know where I'm going. I know where I want to get to. But I love it when they tell you, that's what I need in the maze of life, right? I need a map that says, you're here. You want to get here. You're going to want to go here, turn here. Yeah, 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 do this with your money. Don't do this with your money. You're going to marry this person. You're going to want to do this with your kids. You're going to want to practice these habits. Don't practice these habits. You're going to want to do all the right decisions. And then eventually I'm going to get to where I want. I want a map. Maps are great and awesome, especially the GPS ones now. You know, I got a new truck and it's got the navigation system on it. It's awesome. I don't even need my phone anymore. I just hit a button. I say, I'm going here and my truck tells me where to go. Oh, we're spoiled. I remember driving around with a big atlas when I was an admissions counselor for all of it Nazarene University. And I remember I had the state of Michigan and Wisconsin and I'd never even been to Michigan and Wisconsin. And they gave me these two states and I spent two years zigzagging these states and Detroit and northern Michigan and Wisconsin and Madison and I had to find these little and there were no GPS's back then you just had these maps and you had to try to like write on paper and the internet wasn't even hardly out yet right we need a map because maps are high mile a mile high view of where we are and where we need to be maps are great but here's the thing about maps even though you can see where you're at, and even though you can see where you want to be, you still have to take the journey. You can't just look at a map and then you're where you want to be. You still have to take the step, drive the car. You still need to get to where it is you need to be. The journey still needs to be understood. The directions need to be understood, and you need to know how to get to where it is that you need to be. Sometimes maps are great, but they're still confusing at times. My wife and I, sometimes we like to go out to Pokagon, to the trails. Tell me if you've experienced this. There, is a, there are a couple of trails out there. I think it's two and four, I'm not sure. But you have a map, and when you don't know the trails, and you have all these turns and you know, for me, she's looking for the longest route, and I'm always looking for the shortest route back to the car, right? 
And, and I'm like, no, we're not going to take eight because it takes us like a mile and a half up here and it's away from the car. And then we got to walk off. She's like, oh, we can do it. And I'm like, no, it's like three extra miles onto our trip. And so I'm looking at it. So we found this one where we take this trail. It goes up and around. And then it's where two of the trails kind of merge. There's a problem with this map. No matter how many times I look at it, no matter how many times I walk on it, I always end up, there's a fork in the road. I always end up taking the wrong one, and we end up adding about a mile and a half onto our trip. You'd think I'd get smart, but here's the thing with maps. They can be confusing at times, too. Some have called the Bible a map. But that isn't, hello? But that isn't always clear either, is it? People grab a Bible and say, here's your map to life, and they give it to you, and it's like, oh, okay. But it's not always clear either. You want to know how I know it's not always clear? Because of our parable today. Jesus gives us a map to life, to the kingdom. And he says, hey, everything that you want, everything that you're desiring, everything that is, is at the heart of what you really want to see in the world, in your life, in your families, in your neighborhoods, in your schools, it's all here. The kingdom has come. The word of God is like seed being spread all over the place. And Jesus gives us this map of how to live that out. You're like, what do you mean a map? I thought he's talking about planting seed. He is. But it's a map. It's a map. But how do I know the Bible can be confused? Because nobody got it. They're like, what are you talking about? I don't understand this. Why are you telling us stories about planting seed when we want to talk about kingdom? We want to talk about a king on a horse and throwing down Rome and overtaking. And we want to talk about what it means to be a kingdom. And Jesus, you're over here talking about seeds and rocks and paths and weeds and and they didn't get it even his own disciples didn't get it and he had to explain it to them so let me ask you this morning before we get to the text where is it that you want your life to be where is it that you want what is it that you want from your life? What is it that when you get into life and you look at life, what is it, how do you want your marriage to be? How do you want your relationships to be? How do you want your finances? How do you want, you know, uh, your, your work and your career? How do you, is it that you want your retirement? How is, what is it that you want out of life? Seriously. Ask yourself that question this morning. You want your relationships to be good, right? You want your marriages to be strong. You want your finances in order. You want love. Listen to this. What we really want is love and peace and joy and all the goodness that life can give us. That's what we want. And my guess is that you have taken some wrong turns in your life. My guess is is that you have taken some wrong turns and things have not ended up as they should. You've got some broken marriage. You've got some marriages. You've got a broken relationships. You're, things aren't working well here in this area of your life, in this area of your life. And you look at your life and you look around and you're like, wow, I feel alone. I don't feel like there's any fruit. I don't feel like there's any goodness. I don't feel like i got these stress and strains of life. Because sometimes we take wrong turns. 
And we're not seeing the fruit that comes from the kingdom in our life. How do I know that? Because I've done it too. We've all done it. We've all misunderstood. We've all had failures. We've all made mistakes. We've all made wrong turns. We've all have regrets of something that we wish we had done previously because of a choice that I made that ended up not being good for me. And it just brought heartache and brokenness and all kinds of stuff. And here's what I've seen in me and what I've seen in others. Is no matter what you want and how you define that, we all really want the same thing in life. We want to be safe. We want to be secure. We want to know that we're loved. We want to know that there's peace. We all want to look in the mirror every day and feel good about what we see. I don't mean physically. Because, yeah, that's, yeah, for some of us, that's just not possible, right? But uh, we want to look in that mirror and we want to say, I'm proud of the person in the mirror. I'm proud of what I see, what I've done. I, I'm not proud of everything that I've done, but you know, I've made mistakes. I've learned the grace of God has lifted me up and now there's love and joy and peace. We all want these things. We want justice. We all want that. Whatever side of the spectrum you're on in your philosophy of life and your politics and all of that, in the kingdom, we all want justice. We want fairness. We want responsibility. We want accountability. We want to know that there's fruit in my life that will last. Not just a quick flash and it's gone, but something that lasts. Strong relationships, strong marriages, strong everything. That's what we want. We want peace. We want love. We want justice, security, fruit. We want God's approval. We want to know that God's happy with us. We want a life that's good. And even this, we want meaning and we want purpose to our life. No matter how you define that or whether it's this amount or that much or this many friends or this few friends or whatever that is, that's what we really want at the heart of the matter. So how does our text today help us, the map, get to this life? N.T. Wright is an Anglican, which is probably why I like him so much. John Wesley was an Anglican, and we're Wesleyan, and uh, in our theology, and um, you know, there's, there's Calvin, and there's Wesley, and there's Arminian, and there's Augustine, and it's all these theologians. And I, I actually think these guys rose to the top because you could put, you know, ist and, and an at the end of their name, and it sounds good. Wesleyan, right? Calvinist, and all this. So I, I think that's why. Baker. Yeah, it's not going to work, right? I'm a bakerist or a baker Ann. It's not going to work. But these guys were theologians. Wesley came out of the Anglican church. He was an Anglican priest, and that's probably why I like he He is the founder of Methodism, but he never really wanted to start the Methodist church. I know I'm going down a rabbit hole, but anyway. N.T. Wright wrote this about our text today. According to this map, oh, there it is, the map. The way to that, the life that you really want is by hearing, 
Now listen, and understanding. This takes time and sometimes hard work. I want you to hear this today. A quick glance at the scriptures, an occasional sitting in church, or a study group and being entertained by some new idea is probably not enough. This is what he's getting at the meaning of this text. Care and thought need to be put into the task of hearing the word of the kingdom until it has taken proper root. Stones may need to be moving, moving from the soil, may need removing from the soil. Thorns may need uprooting. But when hearing brings understanding, when you've done the work of the heart issue, when you've cleared the heart, when you've done the hard work of making room for Jesus to plant the seed of the gospel, he says, then comes understanding. We know we're getting close to the goal to the heart of that maze that we're talking about. This is the hard part about this parable, and I'm going to read it. This is what the parable of the sower is all about. It's all about fruitful living. It's about hard work. It's about working to understand the gospel so that it means something, so that it goes deeper than just the surface, like the stony ground, or that it goes deeper and higher and further out than the weeds and the thorns that grow up, the worries of life. This is the thing the parable is talking about. If you want to have what it is that God that you have in your heart that you want out of life, You've got to listen to this parable. It's going to take some hard work. Matthew, I'm just going to read the whole parable to you. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into the boat and sat in it, while, at the, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. In week one, we talked about that path, didn't we? That hard path, the hard-hearted. Those who the seed of the gospel just skips right off your life and it never has a chance. Because you're just hard-hearted. You're skeptical. You're cynical. You're, you're no to God. And that's the hard heart. Some, and he said the birds came and he ate it up. Some fell on rocky surfaces. We talked about the rocky surface. It's not big stones necessarily, but right below about an inch and a half, two inches of dirt in that part of the world is limestone. And so the dirt on top allowed the seed to start to grow, and it grew up fast, but there was no root. And what happens? The worries and challenges of life, the sun comes up, hits it, burns it, and he says it springs up quick, but the soil was shallow. But when the sun come out, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. These are people who are quick to receive the gospel, but they're not willing to do the hard work. They want the gospel. They want Jesus. They want that in their life. And they have this emotional, religious experience. But then when it comes to actually following Jesus, it gets hard. And they quit. Other seed fell amongst the thorns. We talked about this last week which grew up and it choked out. It crowded the plant. This is an interesting soil. This soil, the seed actually grows. 
And this is probably most of us. We've accepted the gospel. We've, you know, we've into our life. We've grown up in the church. We've grown up in Jesus, and we're growing. But then, normal life, worries of life, challenges of life, other priorities in life start to crowd in around us, and it chokes out the gospel to where you have a faith, but your faith isn't producing fruit. Yeah, you have a faith. It's just not producing the fruit. Still other seed fell on good soil, he said. This is what we're going to talk about today. Where it produced a crop, listen, 160 or 30 times what was sown. This is astronomical. Everyone listening to this parable would have went, that's impossible. In this world, if you got 10 times what you planted, it was a good year. And Jesus is saying, No, if the soil is good, if the heart is in good shape, when the seed is planted and there's no stones, there's no thorns, there's no weeds, and all of this, the the soil has been cultivated to the point where the seed is landing, you will receive that seed and it will grow and produce an incredible fruit. Your life will be full of the fruits of the Spirit. Next verse. So Jesus says this in verse 9. Whoever has ears. Now here's the hard part. He tells this story. And he says, okay, God's responsible for the seed. God's throwing the seed. God's responsible for the gospel. It's his news. He's spreading it. But here's your part. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And if any of you are, are like my family, Listening is probably the hardest thing that you'll ever do in family. Listening to one another. It's hard work. It's challenging. You've got to stop. Consider the other. They have books like this thick just on how to listen better. <laughs> so here's some observations. So go to verse 18. So Jesus then explains it. He says, then, listen then to what the, the parable of the sower means. Here's the meaning. When people hear the, God, the message about the kingdom and do not understand it, the evil one, this is the path, comes and snatches away what was sown in, in their hearts. So there we learn the soil is your heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to people who hear the word and at once receive it with joy. They have a flash of religious excitement and emotion. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling amongst the thorns refers to people who hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it, listen, unfruitful. The seed grew, but it's not fruitful. But the seed, and here's our text today, the seed falling on good soil refers to people who hear the word and understand it. They produce a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man. No, that's not it. 
Sorry, one, too many verses. There you go. I want that kind of soil. So let me give you a couple observations about the soil and this whole parable to wrap this parable up for us. The seed that Jesus plants, now listen, the seed that Jesus plants wants to grow and produce fruit in your life. Jesus wants your life to be fruitful. Jesus desires your life to be good, to be loving, to be joyful, to be kind, to be gentle. Jesus wants self-control. Jesus wants you to not be mastered by anything or anybody but by him in a way that produces fruit in your life. Jesus is for you, not against you. That's what this parable tells us, that God And Jesus Christ wants to plant the word of God in your hearts so that it can grow and be good. But here's the problem. So many of us are so busy planting our own seeds, hoping that they will produce what it is we desire, only to plant that seed and to grow and be bad fruit. We're just too busy planting what we think will bring us happiness, what brings us peace, planting only what we think will make us feel fulfilled. It just never works out that way because we're flawed. It never works out. Why? Because we're flawed. From the beginning, our hearts are sinful. And when we plant seeds hoping that it will produce something that is good and fruitful and abundant and it helps the whole world be a better place when we go and we try to do that on our own with our heart being sinful all that we sow is discord and jealousy sin spoils the soil of our hearts sin spoils the soil of our hearts We can't plant good plants that produce good fruit because our hearts produce discord and jealousy and anger and selfishness and unloving attitudes. And these are the things that are opposite of what the kingdom produces. We cannot help ourselves because our hearts at at their core is sinful. We don't love God with our whole heart. And we don't love our neighbor, even those who are closest to us as we should. So we see the fruits of the seeds we plant in the world, in our families, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. What we get are broken marriages, hate, racism, injustice, wars, fighting, bickering, quarreling, tearing one another apart. Why? Because we're planting seeds that we think will give us what we really want, missing the whole point that it's the kingdom seed, the Jesus seed, the, the, the gospel that will produce the love and the joy and the peace and the understanding and the gentleness and the community that God so longs for us to be in. So when we sow seed, thinking it's going to produce what we want on hearts that are sinful, it produces the opposite. Galatians 5.19 says this, 
The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. This is what lives in your heart. It's obvious. Sexual immorality, impurities, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousies, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Man, it sounds like our world, right? Because we're sowing seeds that we think are going to give us what we want. But when you sow seed on hearts that are sinful, this is what we get. Jesus tells us this story. He tells us that he is the word of God. Jesus is telling us that the good seed that overcomes all sin in our hearts, that he is spreading a different kind of seed. One that can go deep into our hearts and change the hater to a lover. Change the jealous to a, I'm for you, not against you. He turns all that, the sinful nature, completely upside down to where we start to produce in our life the fruits of the Spirit and not the fruits of the sinful nature. Jesus is good and His potential in you is great to produce this love, peace, joy, kindness, and self-control. So why is the seed not growing everywhere but only in some places, it's because of this. The soil always determines the likelihood of livelihood. And this is the core of what Jesus is telling us today. He's planting seed. The seed will grow. The seed will produce. The seed will change your life. The Word will change you. It'll change your life. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your neighborhood. It'll change your city. It'll change your world. It'll change your state, your country. It'll change everything about you. The kingdom of God is here, and it's coming out of those who are allowing it to take root and grow up and out, and it's going to change everything. It has that potential. So why is it not doing that in some? Because the soil determines the likelihood of livelihood. It's not that the seed isn't working. It's because the hearts that it's landing on are not good. They're not receiving it. Jesus reminds the listener and us that only life-giving fruit comes from the seeds that are planted on soil, prepared and ready to receive. Jesus overcomes the sin in our life. His life and His death and His resurrection will produce life in us that is good. But we have a part to play. Listen, church. Listen, believer. We have a part to play. You need to cultivate your heart. You need to plow the hard ground. You need to remove the rocks. You need to pull the weeds up and the thorns up by their roots. You need to get your heart ready. And that takes work on our part. Good soil. Good soil. Going back to N.T. Wright, he says this. Nobody would have missed the underlying meaning of this parable. Yes, Jesus was saying that you have been longing. Yes, Jesus, what you have been longing for and praying for is really coming true. Listen, your desires of your heart, the desires of what you want, it's coming. It's here. I'm here, Jesus says, to make it happen. 
It's going to be hard for you to understand, though. But that doesn't mean it isn't true. (coughs) And here's what Jesus says in the parable. Stick with me. Listen to me. Figure it out. Dig in. Come back for more. Keep coming back for more. Learn more. Dig in. Plow the ground. Remove the roots of the weeds and the thistles. Take the rocks and throw them away. Allow the ground of your heart so that you can receive what Jesus is wanting to do in you. Good soil is cultivated. Hard ground broken up. Rocks removed, thorns lifted. You know, I think in every county government, and maybe you can correct me, but I think there's an office where you can actually go into your yard. Bill, you could probably tell me this. And take a couple handfuls of dirt and send it to your county, this office, and they'll test the dirt. Is that true? Yeah. They'll test the dirt for you. And what they'll tell you is, can anything grow on your property? Can anything grow in your land? Can anything, and they're going to give you a report. In that report, it's going to say, it's got this, it's got too much of this, not enough of this. And it's going to do that. It's going to dig up those handfuls and send them in. And they're going to give me a report telling me what I can plant and what I can't. And that's great for growing seeds. But how can you test the soil of your heart? How can you reach in and look in and see if the soil of your heart, if your heart is ready to be fruitful? Jesus tells us in this parable that we will see fruit if the seed is allowed to land on good soil. A receptive heart, a faith-filled heart, a cultivated heart will produce an abundance of good things. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, forgiveness, grace, compassion, knowledge of the truth, and even this one, sharing the good news with someone else. All of these things that we really want in life, all of these things that the world really needs, These are the things that will change your world. Not more money, not more power, not having the right guy in the Oval Office or the wrong guy in the Oval Office or the Senate or or virus protection, whatever. What the world really needs are the fruits of the Spirit. What the world really needs are people where the fruit is growing up in their life and producing so that all of those around us may benefit from that fruit. How do I measure my heart? How do I measure the readiness of my heart for the gospel? The vision team that we've been working months on spent a lot of time dealing with this issue Discussing, okay, this is our vision. What what do we have a vision for the people of our church to be disciples? How are we going to measure discipleship? You know the traditional way, right? This is the traditional way. Do I believe in Jesus? Check, right? 
Do I pray? Check, right? Uh, do I read my Bible? Check, right? Yeah, do I go to church? Yeah, three times a month? Check. Well, twice a month now, I'm sorry. Check. Do I give? Check. And we just kind of go down through. And these were the traditional ways that we measure discipleship. And we look at someone and say, wow, you know, I do all these. I'm a disciple. Or you do all these. You're a disciple. And the vision team just really had a hard time with that because when you, you know, you know when I do this, come in for a second here, you know. Not really, but we all know people who do these things. And they do a lot of these things. And there's no fruit in their tree. Can you really measure discipleship based off of these? I have met people who are religious about these things. And they're some of the most hateful, hurtful people you'll ever meet. In our churches. Maybe you've met one. Nobody in here though, right? So we just decided this is not a good way to measure if my heart is plowed, if my heart is good, if my heart, the soil of my heart is ready to receive the gospel daily from God, to receive Jesus daily so that fruit will grow up. These things cannot tell me because I can do these things and still be far from God. I really can. This is not a good method. So we developed a different set of measures. Six things that we are going to begin to challenge our people all the time. And you're going to see these more and more and more. And you'll see them in the bulletin. And you'll see them on sheets of paper. And you'll hear me preach about them. And you'll see these things. Because these are the things that determine. We have to be people who have cultivated the ground of our hearts. And how do we do that? The first one is this cultivate. And you ask yourself this question. Are my habits, where are my habits leading me? Notice we didn't list a whole bunch of habits. That's not what we're about. You simply honestly ask yourself, the habits that I currently have, where are they leading me? Are they leading me closer to my wife? Closer to my husband? Are they leading me closer to my kids? closer to my church, my church family, my friends? Are they leading me closer to death earlier because I shouldn't be doing these things because it's not healthy? This isn't just about, this is about all my habits. As a disciple and a steward of life, to cultivate my, my heart and be ready to receive Jesus, I need to be honest about my habits. Are they, are they, are they leading me where Jesus is taking me? The second one is this. Become. Ask yourself every day, am I becoming more like Jesus every day? You say, well, what do you mean more like Jesus? Read the Gospels. The man was just oozing with love and concern and care for others. He put others before himself. He loved God with his whole heart and he loved his neighbor more than himself. Am I becoming more every day like him? And I can look back and evaluate the day and how I treated people and how I talked to people. And I fail at this. And I have to ask myself every day, am I more like Jesus today than I was yesterday? Three, ask yourself this. Am I engaged? 
Am I meaningfully connected to my church family? Listen, this might just be one of the greatest cultivating things you can do right here is to connect in a meaningful way to a small group of people, to a couple of friends, to be accountable, to be connected in meaningful ways to people within the community of faith. Because Jesus made us for community. Holiness finds its expression in community. How can you be holy without another person across from you? You can't. Holiness has so much more to do with my relationship with you than my relationship with God. It's this relationship that fixes this one. And if I don't have community, if I don't have relationships, meaningfully connected relationships, I can't practice the holiness that God made me holy to be. I need people. I need connection. I need to live out what it means to be holy. Four, we ask ourselves this, am I serving? Am I serving my church family? Am I giving time? Am I helping one another? Am I going out and helping someone, you know, a single mom carrying three kids on her, on her hip out into the door? Or a mom whose husband doesn't come? Am I helping them walk in? Am I serving in the cafe? Am I helping teach our kids? Am I holding babies? Am I coming up here and helping people worship? Do I have a gift and a talent that I'm not using to serve the community of faith? You want to cultivate your heart. You want to prepare your heart to receive what Jesus wants for you. Start serving other people. And you'll find that the gospel will begin to take root. Why? Because in serving other people, the fruits of the Spirit get to come out. You get to love people. You get to be gentle with people. Hopefully, if you're not a gentle person yet, we're not going to put you at the front door, all right? You know what I'm saying? Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Just a little rough around the edge. It's okay. Jesus loves you, and so do we. We're working on it. But am I serving my church family? Number five, give. And this is funny. We talked about this. Should we say giving like a tithe or money? Or, and and the, the vision team came up with this. No. Am I living sacrificially? That's the Jesus way. Not to count the 10%. Not to go, oh, hey, I'm at 10%, I'll stop giving this month. Or, No, Jesus lives sacrificially. And so whatever that means for you and between you and God, without compulsion, you pray to God and you ask God, God, am I living sacrificially? Am I giving of my time, my talents, and my treasures to all of people, all, everybody? And then last is this one, Reach. Who am I inspiring to follow Jesus? I can't be a disciple of Jesus and ignore the call of Jesus to help to make disciples. That's the circle of life. And I don't mean the movie, right? The circle of the disciple's life is someone helped you find life and you begin to help others find the same life that you found. And so you begin to live out this fruit that's happening in your life. And you begin to share Jesus, begin to build relationships, begin to talk to your friends, begin to talk to your family, begin to share at the workplace, not in a 
regimental, militant way, like, you're going to hell. You know, that's not a good way to start it with people, right? It's just, that's not the good way, all right? That's not the Jesus way. Uh, Jesus would sit down and have a meal with them. And then he would talk to them and build relationships. That's how you cultivate your heart. You cultivate it by your habits. You become more like Jesus. You engage in meaningful relationships. You serve your church. You give sacrificially. And you begin to look out for other people who might need to hear this good news too. And when you do those things, you begin to cultivate as you pull up weeds that don't belong. Remove rocks and stones that are just getting in the way. Plow up that hard space of your heart that's not receiving the gospel. Jesus said this in verse 9. Whoever has ears, let them hear. It's a very important message. We are not responsible for the growth. Get this. You are not responsible for the growth. You are responsible for the soil. You're responsible for the soil. It's your habits. It's your relationships. It's your decision. It's your surrender. It's your giving up. It's your beginning to. It's yours. It's your decision to cultivate that heart of yours so that the seed that's ready to grow will plant itself, go deep, grow up, and produce fruit. But that's on you. And that's on me. I have to cultivate that. Jesus will make it grow. And you know what? This has been God's plan from the beginning. Even before Jesus stepped onto earth. Look what he said in Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart. And I'm going to put my spirit in you. Wow. Talk about a master gardener. (laughs) He's going to come in there and he's going to pull you alongside and say, okay, apprentice. Let's go gardening. Let's go plow the field. Let's go get the rocks. Let's go pull these weeds up. He's going to put his spirit in you and I will remove from you the heart of stone. It's always about the heart. It's always about the heart. It's not about the gospel. It's not about what songs we sing. It's not about what church we go to. It's not about any of that. It's not about whether you're Wesleyan or Calvinist or whatever. It's about your heart. Is your heart ready? Is it flesh? Is it soft? Is it plowable? Is it teachable? Can the seed grow? Worship team's going to come. We're going to close out our service with a song this morning. (coughs) We're going to close this series out with just an opportunity for you to make a decision. To stand where you're at. You know... Are you ready to receive what it is God has for you? Are you prepared for God to remove and do and begin to help you remove the rocks that are getting in the way, the weeds and the thistles that are getting in the way? Are you ready? Is your heart ready for the gospel so that it will grow? I know you want love. and I know you want peace. And I know you want good marriages and strong relationships and relationships with your kids and your grandkids and your workplace. And I know you want all that. 
that will grow out of you as the seed of the gospel takes root deep in you. But you've got to plow the field. You've got to prepare the soil. So as they sing this song, just to make room, let Jesus have some space in your heart this morning. Give him all the space that he wants to do what it is that he wants to do. And as you're making decisions today, just stand in worship. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or anything. Just stand where you're at. Worship God as a testimony. This is my surrender. I'm laying it all down here. Because I'm ready for God to do what it is he wants to do in my heart. Amen.